Welcome to Transformed by Grace, an in-depth Bible study of God's Word, presented by the Berean Bible Society. Join us each time on this station as Pastor Kevin brings the transforming message of God's grace revealed through the Holy Scriptures. poverty called Garbage City. Each morning at dawn, some 7,000 garbage collectors on horse carts leave for Cairo, where they collect the garbage left behind by the city's 7 million citizens. After their day's work, they return to Garbage City, bringing the trash back to their homes, and they sort out what's useful. In Muslim countries, there are certain religious restrictions on sifting through refuse, so the inhabitants of Garbage City are either non-religious or from some Christian heritage. These are the poorest of the poor, outcasts among outcasts. In 1972, a young Egyptian businessman lost his wristwatch, valued at roughly $11,000. As you can imagine, it would have been unthinkable to have a valuable timepiece returned by a member of Garbage City. Yet an old garbage man, dressed in rags, found the man's name on the watch and returned it, saying, My Christ told me to be honest until death. Because of the garbage man's act of obedience, the Egyptian businessman later told a reporter, I didn't know Christ at the time, but I told the garbage man that I saw Christ in him. I told him, Because of what you have done and your great example, I want to know your Christ and will worship the Christ you are worshiping. The businessman, true to his words, studied the Bible, trusted Christ as his Savior, grew in his faith. Soon he and his wife began ministering to Egypt's physically and spiritually poor. In 1978, he was ordained as a minister and began leading a church that met outside Garbage City. A faithful testimony of a transformed life by God's grace can touch the hearts and lives of others around us so they too might experience the grace of God and salvation and the grace of God that changes lives. Titus chapter 2 and verse 11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Right here is the heart of the letter to Titus. The verses before and after verse 11 have everything to do with authentically living the Christian life before the lost and all people. The reason for the instruction for elders the reason for the warning against false teachings, the reason in commanding the church and God's people to live according to sound doctrine and to be people of good works is all because the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. All people can be saved. The provision has been made for every single person. So God desires His church to provide a strong testimony and be a witness to all and trying to reach the lost for Christ. The church's leadership, doctrine, and behavior needs to be strong and healthy so that the church's outreach to the world is compelling and real. As the older men are strong examples of godliness to the church, as the older women live separated holy lives who teach the younger women God's word and His will, and the younger women live out this godly instruction, and the younger men are sober-minded 
as we have sound speech, are faithful employees who are obedient, don't talk back or steal. We do all of this because God's grace that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God loves all and God desires every single man, woman, and child to be saved. God has extended and offered His saving grace to every person. There is not a single person that God does not love and desire to see saved and redeemed. And so the mission of the church is to become a visible example of the grace of God to all humanity. God wants His grace to be seen, heard, and experienced through you and through me so that we can reach people for Christ through a strong testimony. We all needed the grace that bringeth salvation to appear to us. Because nobody can save themselves. In order for anyone to be saved, God's grace had to bring salvation to lost mankind. And it appeared to the world through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is grace incarnate. He is God's gift of grace to fallen mankind. There is a universal need, and God provided a universal remedy through His Son. Christ died for all men. Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for all. God's salvation is available to all people, but it must be received, as only those who receive it by faith will be saved. We are given the choice to accept this grace or to decline it. Based off the construction of the original Greek, verse 11 could read, appeared the grace of God. Salvation to all of humanity. Appeared is a Eureka or wow kind of word with an element of delight and surprise to the idea of discovery. It's the idea of grace suddenly shining forth and being astonishing and overwhelming by God's own initiative, motivated solely by His goodness and His kindness, and despite our absolute unworthiness, appeared the grace of God. God Almighty willingly reached down to rescue us from our sinful condition and provide salvation for all people. And our reaction to it should be one of surprise and astonishment and wow at God's grace appearing and being offered to me and to all of us to save anyone who believes because we don't deserve it. Grace is God's unmerited favor to those who merit the opposite. And we fall short. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. We deserve hell, condemnation, and judgment. But by God's amazing grace, we receive heaven, glory, blessing, peace, and joy. June 1988, a Houston school district nominated a bus driver by the name of Lily Baltrap for a safe driving award. Her colleagues even trusted her to drive a busload of them to her award ceremony for safe drivers. But unfortunately, on the way to the ceremony, Lily turned a corner too sharply and flipped the bus over, sending herself and 16 others to the hospital for minor treatment. So did Lily, who had been accident-free before this, get her award anyway? No, because award committees rarely operate on the principle of grace. How thankful we should be that we who do not maintain a spotless life record, who all fail and stumble and sin, that our salvation does not depend on our performance. It depends solely and completely on the kindness and the grace of God. And how thankful we should be for that. 
Titus 2, verse 12 says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. God's grace saves us, and it also transforms our lives. The grace we've received not only saves us from eternal condemnation and hell, it teaches us how to live. Teaching here has the idea of disciplining, correcting, guiding, instructing, training. We are trained by the grace of God, trained to be the kind of people that glorify our Savior. The founder of the Brean Bible Society, Pastor C.R. Stam, once wrote this, Grace has positively no equal as an incentive to God's people to live pleasing to Him. It does not thunder like the law. Rather, it softens the heart, inclines the will, and provides the power to put God's precepts into practice. God's sanctifying grace teaches us and enables us to live set-apart lives for Him. Grace both teaches what not to do and what we should do instead. Godly Godly living, according to the Word of God, involves both the negative and the positive. Negatively, grace teaches us to deny, to reject ungodliness. This refers to actions and a lifestyle of behavior that are unlike God and against His Word and God's nature. And for things that dull our love for spiritual things and pull us away from God is ungodliness. Grace also trains and motivates us to deny living only for ourselves or primarily for the temporal things of this world. The worldly lusts that Paul writes of here could include living only for pleasure or idolatrous kind of longing for wealth or material possessions or lusting for power and influence, fame and social standing. But all those things are just temporal and they're passing and they're deceitful. Many believe they'll find lasting happiness in them, but when they gain them, they find that they don't. Believers live in this present world, but we are not to be of the world or to live only for the world or to be conformed to the world's ways and its thinking and its standards. We live by a much higher standard, by the standard of God found in His Word, and we are to live for the eternal. In denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, the word denying in the original Greek means to disown or renounce, and it speaks of doing it once and for all. God wants us to make a settled decision, a life choice that in God's power and for God's glory, that this is the direction I'm going to go in life and I'm going to leave these things behind in my past. We don't just keep telling ourselves, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. Instead, grace teaches us to make a clean break and to live for what is better instead. And by faith, we move forward to the positive. And we are taught by God and driven by His grace to live soberly or wise, sensibly, with balance, with common sense and sound minds, guided by the sound teaching of the Word of God and under the control of the Holy Spirit. God's grace teaches us to live righteously by that which is good and right according to what God's Word says is good and right. God's grace trains us to live out the righteousness of Christ in our lives. God would have our behavior match our identity in Christ. Positionally in Christ, we are righteous forever. And God would have us be righteous in our day-to-day practice as well. 
by God's grace, by the Holy Spirit and the resurrection power we have in each of us, God has enabled the believer to do this. Romans 6.13 says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. We'll be returning to the program in just a minute. But first, we'd like to take this time to thank you, our partners, for making these programs possible. If you would like to access our library of helpful Bible study tools, go to BereanBibleSociety.org. Bible Contrasts is a 28-page booklet written by Pastor David Adams. We see a number of dissimilar wordings within God's Word. Some have seen them as contradictions in the Bible. We prefer the term contrasts. The main reason for these differences is that God is setting forth two separate programs. The first deals with the earth and Israel. The other concerns the heavens and the church, the body of Christ. It was given to the Apostle Paul to lay out these differences. He is God's Apostle of the Gentiles. To order your copy, contact the Berean Bible Society for pricing and availability at 262-255-4750 or visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. To receive our free full-color 32-page monthly magazine, The Berean Searchlight, call 262-255-4750 or subscribe online at www.bereanbiblesociety.org. Thank you again for your generous gifts. And now, back to the teaching with Pastor Kevin. We are trained and instructed in God's grace through His Word, which enlightens us how to live right or righteously in this world. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Grace trains us that we should live godly or godlike, living for the things that matter to God, living consistent with God's heart of love and grace, living lives characterized by deep respect and reverence for God. Grace teaches us how to live for God, how to live a grace-filled life. Like D.L. Moody once said, grace isn't the little prayer you chant before receiving a meal. Grace is a way to live. The law tells me how crooked I am. Grace comes along and straightens me out. Grace teaches us of our need of the Lord and our need to depend on Him. We need Him for our salvation. Grace teaches us that we need the Lord moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. It teaches us that we cannot live soberly, righteously, and godly without His grace and His help. Preacher Charles Spurgeon tells of a man to whom was entrusted a large sum of money for the benefit of a poor minister. He thought it would be best to distribute the gift instead of sending it all at once. So he mailed the poor minister five pounds, and inside the envelope he placed a little slip of paper on which was written, More to follow. Thus, for many years, the old minister received regularly his little package of money, always with the more to follow note inside. And that's how God deals with us. The grace we receive today is a pledge of what will be given tomorrow. 
that which we receive tomorrow will likewise be stamped more to follow. There is always sufficient grace for each day and more to follow. And God's grace and presence is with us all the way in life. And we can live a grace-filled life until we experience the grace of Christ coming or His grace and taking us home to be with Him. And in between that time and the trials of life and its ups and downs, peaks and valleys, God's promise is, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Titus 2.13 says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace also teaches us to look for that blessed hope and to be ready for the return of Christ at the rapture. It teaches us to be expecting His return and to live like people who will see Him face to face at any moment. This is a blessed hope, the rapture is, because it will bring blessing to believers. The blessing of Christ's personal presence. The blessing of reunion with believing loved ones. The blessing of being delivered from the tribulation period. The blessing of deliverance from the presence of sin. The blessing of our translation to our home in heaven. The blessing of glorifying grace, receiving our eternal glorified bodies. God's grace trains us to be looking up and to be looking for our Savior. Keeping Christ on our minds is key to our spiritual growth. God's grace teaches us to be looking for His coming, which could happen at any day. And this is God's way of keeping our Savior at the forefront of our minds. With a continual expectation and anticipation, we look for Him, knowing that He could come at any moment. 2 Timothy 4.8 speaks of those who love His appearing. Out of our love and gratitude for Him, we long and we look forward to seeing our Savior and for our Savior to come for us at the rapture. The Christian life's just all about hope. We have the hope of eternal life. We have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of our resurrection. We have the hope of the rapture. Every single day we have that hope of the rapture. The future we anticipate and the hope we set before us, it powerfully influences the way we live, the way we invest our time and energy, the way we conduct our lives. And living in constant expectation of the blessed hope will cause our allegiance and hope to not be pinned here to the earth where we are sure to be disappointed. It in turn turns us to look up and place our allegiance and our hope above where we'll never be disappointed. Grace teaches us here to live our daily lives in constant readiness for our Lord's return and for the certainty of His call, which will happen to one generation that's alive someday. And it, it leads us to live a service-filled, godly life so that Christ will find us living for the eternal, serving Him, ready for His coming when He does come. you got two appearings in this context, in these verses. You have the appearance of the grace of God that brings salvation to all men, and the appearance of Christ at the rapture. And just like the word appeared in verse 11, appearing again here is a eureka or wow kind of word with an element of joy and surprise. It's the idea here of the Lord suddenly shining forth in the air and it astonishing and overwhelming us. 
at the rapture, this will happen to those who are alive at his coming. And so as we look back on the amazing grace that appeared and brought salvation through Christ's life and his death and resurrection, and then as we look ahead and forward to the amazing grace of Christ appearing at the rapture, we have power and we have motivation to drive the church, to move us and constrain us to live a life pleasing to God by the grace of God. Titus 2, verses 14 to 15, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Verse 14 teaches us who Christ is returning for in verse 13. Those who have been redeemed from all iniquity, those who are purified by him. God cannot allow sin in his presence in heaven, so all our sins must be removed. We must be pure to have the hope of the rapture and be taken directly to heaven. And when we trust Christ that he died for our sins and rose again, all our sins are washed away. And we are made pure, and we are righteous in Christ, and we are ready for heaven at all times. In grace, Christ gave himself for us, sacrificially, willingly giving himself, giving everything as he laid down his life for us at the cross. And he gave himself for us. He took our place. He took our sins on himself. He was our substitute. He took the punishment we deserved, faced the full wrath of God against our sins. And he sacrificially gave his life and paid sin's penalty for us so that we might be saved from our sins and be fit and qualified and ready for heaven. And Christ redeemed us. The word redeem means to set free by payment of a price. We were all slaves of sin and we could not and are not able to pay the price to set ourselves free from sin's bondage. The Savior shed blood was what was needed as the payment for our sins. And by his shed blood, Christ met the just demands of God's law and satisfied God's justice so that in grace, God could free those who believe in Christ from their sins. And notice that we are redeemed and set free from all iniquity in Christ. Christ died for all our sins and we are set free from all all of them when we trust Him as our Savior. There is absolutely no need to worry about any unforgiven sin. In grace, they're all paid for and forgiven up front. Have you received the grace of God that bringeth salvation? Have you been redeemed from all your sins? Just trusting that Christ died for you, for your sins, and rose again, we are saved. And that moment of time when we make that decision to trust Christ, we are redeemed in that moment of time from all of our sins and iniquities, and we are right with God forever. And having been redeemed and purified in Christ, we are now His own peculiar people. Now, peculiar doesn't mean odd, strange, or weird in the way that we think of it. Although Christians often do appear very strange and odd to the world, but that's because we live by a different standard. The world peculiar speaks of being God's own treasured special possession. We are Christ's. We are His peculiar people. His possession. Part of God's household. Part of His spiritual family. 
We belong to Him, and we belong to Him forever. Israel was called God's peculiar people in the past, but with God's program with the nation of Israel temporarily set aside today, under grace, the church, the body of Christ now, is God's peculiar people. We've been purchased out of slavery to sin by God's redeeming grace, and we are now owned by a new master. And that master is the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are to be a people of good works who serve our Lord. Grace teaches us to please our Savior by our service and to work for the Lord and to be zealous for Him because we want to, not because we have to. He's been so good to us. Now we are to do good works for Him out of our gratitude. God in His grace redeems us, purifies us, and puts us to work for Him. And it's amazing that He uses us. It's grace that He uses us. And that word zealous here uh, means to boil. It means to be hot. It means to glow. As citizens of heaven, we are to glow with good deeds for Christ here on earth as we're passing through. The Lord wants His church to be on fire and to burn white hot, being consumed with the things of the Lord, being on fire for the things that need done for Him. In missionary Jim Elliott's diary, he wrote, God makes His ministers a flame of fire. Am I ignitable? God, deliver me from the dreadest, bestest of other things. Make me Thy fuel, O God, that I may burn for You. Consume my life, God, for it is Yours. Christ gave everything in setting us free from sin. So we should be a people zealous of good works and give everything for Him, eagerly serving Him out of a grateful heart, burning with zeal and a passionate commitment to glorify the name of our Savior. We need to be zealous of good works because of the principle of Matthew 5.16 where our Lord said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Finally, Paul tells Titus, these things speak and exhort and rebuke. And these three verbs identify the need for the proclamation, application, and correction of the Word of God. Paul charges Titus with the responsibility to proclaim these truths of grace to the church. He was to speak it, share it, teach it and preach it and tell it to the church. He was to exhort. In other words, he was to make this teaching on grace the training regiment for church leaders and church members and to drive it home and encourage them to live by it. And he was to rebuke or correct, replacing incorrect ideas with correct ideas, correcting unsound doctrine with sound grace doctrine, committing himself to gentle yet firm confrontation of error, and he was to do so with all authority. A spiritual leader stands on the authority of Scripture, the divinely inspired, inerrant truth of the Word of God, and authority to instruct, correct, and command people in the spiritual realm comes from the Word of God. If you're not receiving our daily Two Minutes with the Bible emails, please visit our website at BereanBibleSociety.org and, and sign up today there. They're short, little, practical Bible studies that you can read in about two minutes, and they're a great way to start each day with the Word of God. Thank you for watching this episode of Transformed by Grace. Join us next time, and we'll continue our walk through the book of Titus. 
Thank you again for tuning in to Transformed by Grace. We appreciate your prayer support and the financial gifts. The purpose and mission of the Berean Bible Society is to help you understand the whole counsel of the Word of God. For more information, visit our website at www.bereanbiblesociety.org or give us a call at 262-255-4750. Or if you prefer, write us at the Berean Bible Society, P.O. Box 756, Germantown, Wisconsin, 53022. Now until next time, may you be transformed by God's grace.